Hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of In the Zone. I'm here, Chris Martelli, with my co-hosts Giancarlo Alino and Anthony Pinello. Episode 98 today. Uh, we're going to start it off with uh, some simplicity, something that we've uh, we kind of predicted. Uh, well, not Dallas, but uh, we predicted Vegas, Tampa for the longest time, and we're right with one of the teams. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the first? two games of the series between Dallas and Tampa. And do you think with Steven Stamkos potentially coming back in game three, does that give a significant amount of edge to Tampa Bay? And if so, how quick can this series end? Yeah, I think it's uh, still goes in Dallas's favor. I don't think Stamkos is uh, exactly 100%. People have to realize too, he's been out for a while. He's in a bubble. So he hasn't really been in in-game competition for a while. So I think this is still in Dallas's favor. They're in that grind. Uh, I think they let uh, game two slip. So I think they're going to readjust tonight. They're going to come back, take the series lead. And uh, I think they'll wrap this up by Saturday. Uh, we'll see them hoisting the Stanley Cup on Friday in Edmonton, uh, something that city has never seen in a while. And uh, they're going to go back to Dallas and uh, throw a little shaker in Texas and uh, celebrate a cup. I'm going to stick with my uh, Tampa and six prediction. It's been a fun first two games, but uh, Alino basically just doesn't like Steven Stamkos. So I think this will be a very big boost for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Hope it doesn't really, I don't think it will fuck their chemistry up. Like they've had the same team pretty much forever, but um, yeah, you know, he's been out pretty much the whole time. He's making his debut in the playoffs today. That's, I hope that really sparks the boys. I don't see how it doesn't. It's been the captain for a few years now. That's the heart and soul. Hopefully it does something for the lightning. Yeah, uh, I, I also agree. I think I think Steven Stamkos, we can safely say that he's been probably a top 10 player in this league when healthy for the last, I'd say, at least seven, eight years. Uh, he's He sniffed the Stanley Cup before 2014. I think he's going to be very hungry. Uh, he just lost that series to Chicago. He ran into Taves and Kane. And, of course, we all know how lethal and how successful those two guys were uh, i i do really like the way that sagan and ben have really shown up i mean for years we've said that these two guys really should have taken that step forward i'd maybe even say as soon as 2015 when those guys were five years younger and they were firing on all cylinders specifically jamie ben when he won the art ross trophy that year but it's great that they're finally getting their moment uh, a lot of a lot of fans, at least that I've talked to, they're very happy for Dallas. They haven't been there for 20 years, so it's a cool story, especially with Gudobin taking over Bishop's position. But, Alino, I'm going to agree with with Pinello here. I, I still think Tampa Bay, I think they're the better team. I think Braden Point relatively can outplay Stamkos on any given night, so you have two centers that are outstanding. And, of course, you do have Sagan, you have Guryanov, and you know, you have Corey Perry, Joe Pavelski, those guys, they could they could plug it up and score and they're they're veterans. But I still think guys like Kucherov, you have guys like Kalorn, you have guys like Sorelli, even a guy, believe it or not, guy who's been very, very lethal in the playoffs and Patrick Maroon. So I really like Tampa Bay. I like the way this team is is landscaped and, and put together. I really do like the eight defensemen that they have, Shattenkirk and and Zach Bogosian on that last pairing sounds hilarious, but it's actually worked. So I'm just going to stick with Tampa Bay in six games. 
But uh, moving on from that, now I quickly want to talk about the the Consmite Trophy, the tracking. Uh, we always we always love to see who who wins the Consmite. There's actually a lot of guys this year who are quite deserving of it. One of the guys is not even in the he's not even in the playoffs right now, and I, I think Nathan McKinnon would kind of be a guy that you can vote to get it. He had 25 points in like 16 games. So uh, who do you guys think is going to win this Consmite Trophy? Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, if Tampa wins, I would go with the goalie. I think that's a safe pick there. Uh, Vasilevsky has probably been standing on his head a few times in the different series. So if you're looking overall, I would go with him or Victor Hedman. And if you're going with Dallas, uh, the scoring, I know, would come into favor a lot, but Heiskanen's been playing really well. And you've got to give Kadobin some love because he really took over from Bishop and his performances in net have really saved them a couple times from even looking at that Colorado series. So I think it's a, probably the goalies would be the two front runners. And if not, I think they'll give it to the defensemen. This might be a year that might surprise some people where it doesn't go to that elite score on the team. So uh, it's something different, and I think they'll probably consider that. But even uh, our boy Luke Shen, give him some love. <laughs> give him like a, a little most improvement uh, little credit there for his next contract. Guys, uh, in the Stanley Cup final, so uh, good for him. I'll go, uh, <laughs> I'll go a little off the board for Con Smythe. I want to say Braden Point. Just because he's still only he's still getting his feet wet in the league. He's only a few years in. He's taken on that number one role since Stamkos went down. Him and Kucherov have been amazing. He's basic. He's been playing hurt the whole time. He has just been getting bodied like crazy. Uh, his stats. He's over a point per game. He plays so much. He does so much for that team. He's still so young. He's going to get so much better. So if Tampa won, it'd probably be the goalie or Kucherov. But I, I just love the way Braden Point's been. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with uh, with Victor Hedman, too. I think uh, what he's done, it's just like when you look at defensive runs that go all the way to the Stanley Cup final and what they can accomplish and what they can do, I think Victor Hedman's run is maybe on the same level as Duncan Keith, if not a bit higher. I know he's playing around 25 minutes a night, shutting down the team's best players, and he's producing quite a bit of points. I think Victor Hedman also has an absurd amount of goals. I think he has nine or ten goals, which is ridiculous. So I really do like the Braden point. Um, point. That, that sounds funny. <laughs> point, point. But uh, I got to go with Victor Hedman here just because of how great he's been. I still think he's the best defenseman in the NHL. And uh, I think he actually got robbed with the Norris Trophy. So um with that being said i guess I will, we can quickly talk about the trophies that were handed out this past couple of days i'll start it off with the heart trophy we had panarin mckinnon and uh dry were, were nominated for the heart trophy that is awarded to the what the best player in the nhl and they gave that one to leon dry what are your guys thoughts on this do you think it was the right call I specifically thought they maybe should have given it to Panarin, but what are your guys' thoughts on that? This is uh, yeah, this is fine with me. You know, he had a phenomenal year. Uh, I don't think anyone thought he was going to top what he did last year, and he did. But um, you look at all three of these options, you really can't go wrong. They're so important to their team. So Drysaddle getting it, not really that surprised. Phenomenal year, well deserved. 
Yeah, I agree. I like either one of them. Like I think if they gave it to Panarin, I wouldn't have minded. But I think just the year that Drysdale had, I think you had to give it to him that MVP award because on a team with Connor McDavid, he still stood out even more at times. He was a focal point when McDavid was still getting back into a mix of things there off his injury, and you saw Drysdale take over games. Uh, you saw him score big goals for Edmonton and power them onto that playoff spot. Unfortunately, they got eliminated, but uh, he was a big part of that turnaround, him and McDavid. And I think he outperformed McDavid this year. So I don't think that's going to be the same next year. But for this year alone, if you're looking at guys who really stood out during the regular season, I think Drysaddle uh, was definitely a lock for that award. Uh, yeah, I agree as well. Um, I I still think Panarin maybe should have got the votes at least a little more than he did. Uh, you know, having 93 points in your first year, especially on a pretty, pretty hefty contract where us three were basically we weren't laughing, but we were scratching our heads at the at the at the amount that he got at 11.5, especially even the term. That's a lot. But Panarin proved that he is one of the best wingers in the league. I remember when he left Chicago the first time, a lot of people were saying, okay, you know, was that, was that rookie year like kind of fluky? I mean, he was a, he was a experienced rookie. He was 24 at the time. And then, you know, he only got better as soon as he went to Columbus. I think he had a little bit more confidence, a little more touches. Again, I think he only went there to pair, to pair him with Artem Anisimov. He was kind of like his translator for the first couple of years in the league. But what Panarin has done, at least this year, was absolutely amazing. And I still think he has, if not the same, I think maybe even a little more to offer next year, especially when you add a guy like Lafreniere. So I, I would watch out for Panarin even next year. I, I would anticipate maybe top five in points for sure for Panarin next year. I still think this guy, without Panarin, I don't know if the Rangers are even a playoff team. So I, I would have given it to Panarin just based off the circumstances. A lot of people, they argue that Dreisaitl isn't even the best player on his team. So I think that that's a pretty fair statement, even though Dreisaitl out, outplayed McDavid, at least in points, I think by like 16. So I'm still giving it to Dreisaitl in the long run because of the season he had and the amount of points he produced. But Panarin, wow, he, he just had an absolutely fantastic season. But moving on. We got to go now to the Norris Trophy. This one was basically down to three guys, which again, kind of like the heart. It kind of didn't really matter who won. They all kind of deserved it in their own ways. We had John Carlson, who had an absolutely fantastic offensive season. I think he was actually over a point a game, which is, I don't think we've seen that in our lifetime. At least I don't think I have. Maybe at least it's Carlson, maybe a couple years ago. But then we had a guy... Roman Yossip, this guy quietly has become one of the greatest defensemen in the league, five-on-five strength, even strength. He is hard to score against. And then, of course, we have the guy who's lighting it up right now and my Smythe winner and Alinos and Victor Hedman. Do you think the right guy won here in Roman Yossi, or do you think uh, John Carlson got snubbed? Yeah, this is a tough one because I think they're looking at overall game. If you're looking at overall game, then Carlson, I understand why he didn't win it, even though he put up the most points. But even Yossi, like, Nashville underperformed, I think. I don't think they were that team that everybody thought was going to clinch first place. So that falls on everybody on the team. There shouldn't be any excuses there why they weren't the President's Trophy winners, I think. So I don't think he should have won the award. I think he should have been a finalist. But if you're looking at overall of what guys were uh, doing, I think Hedman for sure should have won that. I think the team he's on, the way he played, 
how good he is even in the playoffs. I know it's a regular season award, but he's just, I think, the most reliable guy out of the three of them. So I was kind of surprised he didn't get the award. I don't mind Yossi winning. I think I'd like him or uh, Hedman. I wouldn't have given it to John Carlson, but um, I love Roman Yossi. Like he does it year after year. Uh, he's been the anchor there ever since, you know, Shea Weber dipped and he's, he's done a phenomenal job. He gets 50, 60 every year, plays half the game. Everyone knows what he's about. Nashville did disappoint a little bit. So that there's, there's the other argument, but like, same same thing for the last award. Like either way, I am good. These are all three phenomenal players. Um, so yeah, yeah, I gotta love Roman Yossi. I love that he got it. Of course, that that was that was probably one of the toughest ones to vote on. I at least I would I would believe. And then we had the Vesna Trophy. I called this from I'd say January. Connor Hellebuck winning the Vesna Trophy. Was this the right call here, or would you maybe have given it to maybe a? a I don't know, maybe a, a Tuka Rask, who he didn't play as much, but the numbers were there. But then we all know what happened after in the bubble. Or would you maybe even have given it to a Ben Bishop? And again, same circumstance, goes in the playoffs and then flat out disappears. Oh, yeah, that's uh, another tough one. Uh, you know what? I think this one, they kind of got it right. Uh, not, I don't have too many complaints about it, this one. Especially with Bishop. Like, Dallas didn't really come out as being a lock or a favorite for a playoff spot to begin with. So I understand why maybe they didn't give it to him, but like, this is one of those awards that it's just going to go either way preference of who people thought was better in the games that they saw them in live. So I'm not too like upset about this one compared to some of the other awards. I feel like, uh, I feel like when people see Vasilevsky here, the, the automatic response will just be like, oh, they're fucking loaded, that team. So when they look at the 50 wins and they're like, yeah, whatever. But uh, for Hellebuck, yeah, I got no complaints here. A couple years ago, he had that breakout season. And then last year, the wins were there and the Jets were good, but he was kind of struggling. And then this year, he really rebounded. So, yeah, he had a he really did have a phenomenal year. The guy, the guy is still so young, him and Vasilevsky. The future looks bright for goaltenders, so... Yeah, I got no complaints here. Happy from. All right. Well, a lot of people actually complained about this next award quite a bit. And uh, me being one of them in the Jack Adams Award, awarded oh, to the yeah. best coach of the year. Now, you had Alan Vignon, who, again, like he carried Philadelphia to the first seed, and they were one of the hottest teams going into the bubble. And when COVID, you know, the whole. Um, when the whole structure came back about with COVID and you're in these two bubbles, we saw Philly absolutely dominate in the round robin. They went undefeated. They beat Washington, Tampa, and I think uh, one other team, I don't remember, and Boston. Every single time, they went 6-0 in the round robin. Uh, we all know that, well, at least me and Pinello have openly talked about Philly and how we think Philly is, and I never saw them as a first seed this year. So you got to give Alan Bignon credit there. And then, of course, there was John Tortorella, who was also nominated, and he outcoached Sheldon Keefe terribly, and he beat the Leafs, and a lot of people, I mean, I was always worried about that. I thought that was going to be the X factor there, and it happened. But Bruce Cassidy comes in here, he has the best first line in hockey, and he wins the Adam Trophy. What are you guys' thoughts on this? I think this is absolutely terrible. I think it should have gone to Alain Vignon. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Give me John Tortorella. 
I am not going to argue against Alan Vigneault just because, yeah, phenomenal year the Flyers had, but Columbus in the offseason lost half their fucking star power. They lost everyone. No one knew what they were. They lost their starting goaltender. Everyone thought, you know, oh, they'll be a they'll be a feisty team, but they'll be towards the bottom of the standings. And then they fucking they school the Leafs to close out the qualifying rounds and then qualify for the playoffs. Like they, I think they had a phenomenal year based off the expectations for that team. And Tortorella is a very big reason why. So I got Tortorella for that uh, word. Yeah, I'm with you. What the fuck were these writers thinking about? Our boy Torts comes in, loses an MVP candidate who uh, puts up all these points in New York. Uh, he lost him. He lost all those forwards. They all went up for greener pastures. It wasn't too green for them on the other side. Looking at Duchesne and uh, looking at Bobrovsky, what happened to their career this year? They all got bounced. And uh, Tortorella made the best of what he had. He goes and faces the Leafs, this offensive juggernaut, eliminates them with his coaching and some of the tactics he had with Seth Jones and Dubois and Wierenski. Second round against Tampa, or first round of the playoffs, he faces them that first game that went to like five overtimes. He basically played three games against them, and they were a couple bounces away from even winning that one. Throughout the series, they're all one-goal games, so you can even make the argument Columbus, if they got past Tampa, they could have been in the Stanley Cup final right now. So I think John Torella should have won this of all the years that Maybe he was a finalist or that last one he won. I think this one is a bigger statement of uh, him being a great coach in this league, and he should have won it. I think he just rubbed some of the media members the wrong way. Maybe they were upset that he never answered their question. He gave them a few one-liners, and they took it out on the vote. So I think uh, they made the wrong choice over here. Yeah, another thing, too, with with Bruce Cassidy winning that really upset me was if you look at the Boston Bruins roster the last, like, three years – They've only made really minor tweaks to like the bottom six forwards. They haven't really changed up their team that much. I mean, okay, you bring in maybe a couple big guys like, um, you know, uh, who is that guy? They got they got Charlie Coyle a couple of years ago. Like you, you bring that guy in, okay? Like you have to like coach him into into the program, into the process. But you have Krejci and Bergeron who have been there since we were like six years old. Like they've been there forever. Maybe not six years old, but like eight, nine years old. <laughs> Zdeno Chara, like that guy coaches himself. He's six, nine. You can't really coach that. Uh, McAvoy has been, uh, you know, he's kind of been a flat out disappointment at least the last two years. Tory Krug, great offensive defenseman. You know, like it just baffles me that you're going to give the Jack Adams award to a coach that literally every fan in every fan in the NHL will say that they have the best line in hockey. And that's just flat out true. Brad Marchand, Bergeron and Pasternak kill you every night. So the fact that they gave Bruce Cassidy this award, I think it's just flat out laziness. I think they didn't really give it enough thought. And I thought they just kind of, they just threw him a bone. It's like, okay, well, you know, Boston, they didn't win this year. So we'll give him the Jack Adams trophy. So I, I, I really don't I don't like that pick at all. So I'm going to voice it. But moving on, we got the Selkie trophy, which, again, very, very similar. It's usually the same guys nominated every year. Patrice Bergeron and Ryan O'Reilly were on here again. And Sean Couturier, believe it or not, winning the Selkie trophy. I really love it for, for Couturier and for the league. This is another two way forward that is coming up and he's come up in the ranks over the last three years and he's really proven his game. So I guess I'll start with Pinello because I know how much he loves Sean Couturier. 
How proud of you are you of Sean Couturier right now? Very proud. Love this guy. His game just continues to progress over the years. I remember, you know, first coming into the league, he's that third line center, 30, 40 points. He'll shut it down for you. And then year after year, he just keeps working on his game, keeps working on his offense and defense. And now he's a number one center in the NHL. So uh, Bergeron can piss off. He has like 12 of these trophies. I would have loved if O'Reilly won it too, but it's Sean Couturier's time. Very happy for him. Yeah. I agree there, like Couturier. I think he's done a great job ever since that draft where a lot of people thought maybe he wasn't living up to expectations, had a great career since then. But I think they need to change the criteria of this award a little bit. Like, I think some people are looking at two-way player and they expect the guy who wins it to get like 60 points and be on the third line. But I think if they have to have a criteria where, okay, this guy's the best defensive player, forward, defenseman, whatever, if you're like the team on the other the opposing team and you look at this guy on the other side of the ice thinking okay shit we have to find out a way to beat this matchup i think that's a criteria that will make it a little bit more difficult for some of these writers to choose it i think if uh, somebody won like they did in basketball defensive player in the year and you really get the pool of players down i think it'll be uh something more prestigious of an award than just looking at okay this guy kills some penalties gets forward a little bit can score some goals yeah. Uh, uh, moving on, we got the Lady Bing, very similar, the most gentlemanly type player. O'Reilly won it last year. Again, he was nominated here again. Um, Nathan McKinnon actually gets this award. I'm really happy for him because there's no way you could you could snub this guy. He was nominated for like four awards and he's not going to win one. So Nathan McKinnon winning the Lady Bing. But for me, I think the biggest eye opener here was Austin Matthews being nominated as well for the Lady Bing trophy. I think I would have given it to O'Reilly over Matthews if there was no McKinnon. But what, what are you guys' thoughts on Nathan McKinnon winning a trophy that maybe we never really thought he would win? I love it. Never thought this day would come. I've always fantasized about it. I still think he's going to have like 20 runner-ups by the probably by the end of his career just because of how many elite players there are in this game. But yeah, you've seen it over the last couple of years. The time is coming. He, the, the, he's here. He's a superstar. So this year, oh my God, he's, th- he's still third in playoff scoring like you brought up before, Jesus. And this guy just had a phenomenal year. So, <laughs> yeah, this was my vote, Nathan McKinnon. Oh, can you imagine if uh, they gave it to Austin Matthews after that uh, mooning in- incident that he was involved in? The ruckus <laughs> it would have caused on social media if Matthews won the award for being the most gentlemanly-like player in the league. I think they oh, missed no. out on something. <laughs> they should have <laughs> gave it to him. But yeah, I'm happy for McKinnon. Good for him. Yeah, moving five. I, I'll, you know, thanks for bringing that up. I completely forgot about that. Why would they even nominate him, knowing that he did that? That is hilarious. Wow. On ice award. <laughs> Should have gave it to him. Just imagine on Twitter, free publicity <laughs> for the league. I guess I'll end. Uh, I'll end this one with. Well, there's two trophies left. They're both relatively important. We got also the mastered in, but we all know that that is basically the comeback player. Um, Bobby Ryan and Lynn Blom, to me, were the standouts in that award. Lynn Blom, unfortunately, you know, he had cancer and he came back and, you know, he's now, he was rostered by the end of the season with the Flyers. Absolutely great story. He even got a contract extension. And then you talk about the struggles with Bobby Ryan and alcoholism. And he really had to go through rehab and he really had to, he really struggled. And then, of course, he comes back. And I think his first game, he had two goals. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, was the right call Bobby Ryan or really any, any player could have been the right call? 
Uh, yeah, for this trophy, you could really everyone's got a good case. It's a different. It's a yeah. It's a different scenario, but. I'll give some love to Bobby Ryan because I feel like ever since he got to Ottawa, it's just like fucking downhill from there. So he's been dealt with so many injuries the last few years and alcoholism, like you brought up, and he's had a real tough time. So good on the kid. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And this is like another award where it's like maybe they should do away with it and just give everybody that they nominated like the award and recognition because. Like when you think about it, it's like okay, this guy one issue, one issue I don't think is like more important than the other. Like they're both dealing with something uh, significant in their life, so I think they should just go on. Like just the guys that they nominate for that, they should recognize as part of the award ceremony as something like look at the these players what they had to deal with for the last year. Uh, give them their due uh, because like I don't know, a guy getting cancer and then coming back and then alcoholism with Bobby Ryan like it's kind of hard to give one the award and the other one kind of just slight them like that so that's They're all change yeah just give them all an award for that just to recognize what they went through the next award the Calder we got Capo Caco and Jack Hughes just kidding they're not on it because <laughs> years. Um, you got Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr too offensively dynamic awesome to watch defensemen and then, of course, this to me was probably the biggest surprise of the year. Dominic Kubalik getting 30 goals as a rookie. Holy shit. <laughs> Came out of nowhere. And he, he is an overaged rookie. I think he's 23 or 24. But what were your thoughts? I'm not even going to talk about the winner first. I'm going to say, what are your initial thoughts on Dominic Kubalik being inserted into this Calder Trophy race? And how good do you think this guy can be for Chicago moving forward? Uh, would be the Hawks with their overage rookies that it with Panarin before, but uh, he slid right into that spot there and he meshes really well with that forward group. So I don't know if he's going to score 30 every year, but I think he's in a good spot where he potentially could be. I don't know, but like, I just look overall at all three of them. It's, it's an overage rookie and two defensemen. Do you think we're going to see that anytime soon again? No, probably not. No. So like, Oh man, you look at what, uh, Quinn Hughes and Kel McCarr did too. Like, it's not that like they came in and it was like a little transition and throughout the year they got better. No, they were fucking hot shit right away. And they took over and they're very big parts to their team. So love that McCarr won it. All three of these guys though, well deserved. Yeah, with the overager thing, like that's a little weird. Just the other guys coming in are young, just recently drafted. You see Cooper League slide in there in his age with uh, playing with Kane, Taves, like everybody, like I don't know. That's not kind of fair. They should have another award for like first year players. They're the new NHL players of the year. Like someone coming over from Europe and you have them in a separate pool because if you get these Panarin and Koopa League situations going forward, you're going to see a guy one day from the KHL, like 27, 28 in their prime, get like 50 goals and 60 <laughs> points or something and get the award over a rookie like a McCarr and uh, Quinn Hughes who... You know, the dedication of being a young little hot shit player coming in the league. So uh, I'm happy they gave it. To, <laughs> they're going to give it to like one of these defensemen, though. How good is Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, though? Like they come in the league. And they just they just they what did what did McCarr drop? 53 and like 57. God, <laughs> that's just and you got to remember, he's a defenseman. Like that just doesn't happen. And then Quinn Hughes. The, the puck possession skill, the stick handling ability, the, the IQ, just everything is there for Quinn Hughes. I think Quinn Hughes is, right now, I think I'm taking him over Makar. 
but they're both right there. And I think McCarr winning this was perfect, but I'm going to end the awards. Ted Lindsay, the same, the same nominees. This one though is a little different. This is where this is actually the NHL analysts. They vote on who they believe the best player was of the year. Do you still believe it was Leon Dreisaitl when you think of playing wise? I think I might've given this one to Nathan McKinnon. I had Nathan McKinnon. I am incredibly biased. I'll, I'll start off by saying that, but, um, when Miko Rantanen and Landis Cog went down, he, Buddy was carrying the load over there. And uh, he's been carrying the load the last few years. So you just, you, everyone's seeing it now. He's just, he's really starting to come into his own and he really is a superstar in this league. But yeah, exact same thing. You really can't go wrong. They're all huge parts to their team. But yeah, I had Nate. And I had them both like close for it. I'm still leaning more towards Drysdale just because look where he plays, the poor guy, Edmonton. Uh, McDavid, I think, is going to end up winning this award multiple times. So I think they just looked at this as an opportunity to give it to him because I don't think he'll have the same opportunity in the next few years. So uh, I like Dreisaitl. If McKinnon won, though, I wouldn't have been against it. Like he, The way he's played on Colorado this year took another step forward, and he's easily top three in the league. So either or would have been fine. Yeah. I agree. I, I like I like the dry side of one, but I'm going to go with Nathan McKinnon as well, just based off of the amount of production he had and the line mate that he had for majority of the year also produced tremendous numbers. And Burakovsky, when Rantanen went down with the injury, they experimented with Burakovsky going on the top line and he absolutely flourished. So I really do like what, what McKinnon did all year. And we all know that ever since Duchesne got traded, he just turned into a different monster. And he's maintained that monster, and he's maintained it for two and a half years now. So this is the real Nathan McKinnon. This is a top two player in this league. And, uh, yeah, I think I think if, if Nathan McKinnon in the next five years doesn't at least have one or two of these trophies, I'll be really surprised. So I, 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 I went with Nathan McKinnon here and voted for him, but they gave it to Leon. But other than that, I'm not surprised. But moving on, we got to go now to the, the court. Tonight is game four of the Celtics and the Heat. Uh, quickly, guys, I don't know if you guys watched game three. Um, Gordon Hayward came back and he made his presence felt. He guarded Bam Adebayo for majority of the game. They really went with small ball. Daniel Theis was in foul trouble. Ennis Cantor, I guess Brad Stevens doesn't trust him enough to play him over 20 minutes. So they went with Jason Tatum at the five for about a, maybe three quarters of the game. So seen as this this um this worked for them do you guys see that the Celtics are maybe going to do this the rest of the series moving forward or do you think it was just because Daniel Theis was in foul trouble started bud I think maybe it was because of foul trouble if they go and do this for the rest of the series I don't think it will be in their favor I think Miami matches up better if they do that so uh yeah I'm gonna go I'm going to go Hayward, though. If they're going to go small ball, Hayward would probably have the most upside as a power forward or center. So I think they made the wrong call there by putting Tatum in that five spot. They should use him outside for the perimeter, but it worked in their favor. I just don't know if they would have that same effect if they do that for the rest of the series. So I'm still going to go with Miami winning this, though. At the same time, though, regardless of all that foul trouble, like the Boston can't go down 3-0 in the conference finals. This team is just too good. So, this, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, what do we say? Boston in seven, me and you, Chris. Yeah. But, like, yeah. it's going to be a close one. Uh, I, 
They were due for a win. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason why I have Boston in seven, Alino, is just based off of what I saw last game, and that was unpredictability with the Celtics roster. I think, you know, you look at what Miami has continued to do time and time again in this postseason specifically. Like, you, you want to talk about unpredictability in the first two rounds? That's the definition of Miami. I mean, we didn't anticipate Dragic to be their leading scorer. We didn't anticipate Tyler Hero to be, at least I didn't expect him to play this much time in the postseason. I thought maybe around 25 minutes. Instead, he's playing almost 40 minutes a game, which is ridiculous. Duncan Robinson is that special type of guy. Kelly Olynyk will come in off the bench and drop three threes in like 10 minutes if he has to. Um, but, but then you look at the Celtics. And the biggest question mark for them was the bench depth against the Raps. And they came through. Semi Ojale came in the games late. He would dominate. He would drop a couple threes. You had Brad Wanamaker, who was great. And, of course, we cannot forget Grant Williams coming in and doing the mismatch nightmare for Freddie Van Fleet for him to airball the last play in the game. So I really like Boston, especially now with Gordon Hayward back. You could even flirt with Gordon Hayward. Uh, you could literally tease him with anybody on the 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 heat roster he can guard butler he can guard bam he can guard Dragic. he can guard duncan he could guard he could guard igudala this guy can guard a lot of different people and i think that's the beauty of having gordon hayward back and now guys like tatum and brown could maybe be a little bit more relaxed with the defensive matchups there's not as much pressure on them because we all know that those guys they're a great great offensive players but defensively at least right now they still have room to improve but I still got Boston in seven just based off of Gordon Hayward coming back. And the way even Marcus Smart has been playing has just been absolutely tremendous. So I'm going with Celtics in seven. I think it'll be a great series, but we got to wait and see tonight. Mm -hmm. Now I got to go quickly to the game last night, go to Denver and the Lakers. We all, we well, first we got to talk about game two. That buzzer beater was beautiful. And the fact that he yelled Kobe, that just, just made it better. So uh, I, I guess I'll start with that question. What were your guys' thoughts on AD's performance in game two, especially down the stretch? It was him and Jokic back and forth getting the points. What were your guys' thoughts on that game? Yeah, it's just uh, I think that was Denver's game to win there. Uh, they let it slip. Uh, Anthony Davis shouldn't have been in that position looking at all the free throws that Denver missed uh, towards the end of the game when they came back to tie it. Uh, they left themselves vulnerable. I think Denver should have been up right now 2-1 because of game two, letting it slip through their fingers. They're down now 2-1. So uh, I think that's going to be a game. If they don't advance to the finals, we're going to look back at what if uh, they defended better in that stretch. So uh, it was a good moment for Anthony Davis, for his career, his confidence going forward. And uh, if they go and advance to the finals, he'll probably be more confident to take a similar shot if they're down late, he can be the go-to guy. So it was good for him, but bad matchup and bad uh, moment for Denver. I'm not adding to that. That is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to go to game three. We talked yesterday about you know being clutch, and uh, Jamal Murray was the definition of that late in the game. 28 points, 12 assists. That's a career, a playoff career high in assists. Just that, that fourth quarter by them. I mean, they were struggling at the end of the game. Rajon Rondo, every other play was a turnover, and they kept getting points, and they went on a 20-2 to run. 
And I was remember I was watching with Nick and I look at him and I'm like, oh my God, if they come back here, this is it. This is where I specifically put my my hand down and my foot down and I say, Lakers are winning the chip. And what happens? Jamal Murray dressed after the 20 and two run. Him and Grant absolutely went off and they held they held off the Lakers to stay in it. I guess I'll start with Pinello. What were your thoughts on this in the fourth quarter? And what what is next for Jamal Murray? Well, for him, just take it one day at a time. It's not all going to come at once. The kid's only 22 years old. He's uh, he's breaking out now. I don't know if he's a superstar. These words are getting thrown around like crazy, but the breakout is definitely happening. Uh, for them, like him and Jokic, they need other guys to step in at times. So uh, Grant coming in and putting up 26 was a blessing for them. But just for the Lakers, like, I know LeBron triple-doubled, but I honestly thought, and I'm not even trying to troll here, that Rondo was their best player in game three. I just feel like Davis and LeBron, like, they're always going to get their stats and all that, but they're, I, don't, I just felt like Rondo played with the most pace. And uh, they're, they're, oh, my God. I've, every time I look at Danny Green, it's just single, single, single. They need more from all these guys. Yeah. I was just going to ask, when does it get to that point where if you're Frank Vogel, you, you, you finally look at, like, J.R. Smith to play because Danny Green has just not gotten it done, at least offensively. It's just, when you have LeBron and Davis, we're always in the game. Like, they're two superstars, but, like, at, you saw it the other day. Like, Denver, they're just, they're so feisty, and they come at you so many different ways, and they will burn you if, uh, if they're on. And LeBron and Davis, they can't really do it all by themselves all the time. So a guy like Danny Green... He's really got to step in. Rondo, being that third option, has been a blessing for them. Uh, you know, Caruso and Kuzma and like these guys really got to step up because it could be a, it could be a little messy down the road. Well, yeah, especially Danny Green after he game two, I was actually surprised he had some threes there. He was nailing a couple shots, and I thought, okay, now it's going to be over if Danny Green gets hot. That's a missing piece there. Um, but yeah, again, game three, like we saw with the Raptors last year, you'd come on hot. Then after you'd be disappearing for the remainder of the series, he'd have some good defensive plays, but didn't really add anything when he's not shooting threes and uh, helping out with assists. So that's a guy making a lot of money that has underperformed in the playoffs. I don't know if the Lakers uh, getting it done without him, like they don't need him too much because I think Caruso kind of stepped up a little bit. But Rondo, you need him to be hot. You need Dwight Howard to get rebounds and not get in foul trouble uh, to really help out Davis. But uh, Denver, with Jamal Murray, I like it. I like what he's doing. He's gliding in and around the defense at times. They just need to keep the lead. I think that's their biggest problem. Uh, like we saw in that game, they could have been in a situation where they could have rested Jokic and Murray uh, the last six or seven minutes. They were up like almost 20, so... Uh, that's bad now because now you have them more fatigued. You didn't have a chance to rest them. And uh, it gives the Lakers, I think, their experience a little bit more of an advantage. I love that. Uh, Alino, is there anything you want to talk about with uh, with wrestling? Oh, oh man. Uh, Slapjack, T-Bar, uh, <laughs> our boys in retribution. What do you guys where do you guys think this is going? Uh, is this something that they're just going to keep on the Survivor Series and just uh, end this program, burn the tape, or do they have a long-term plan? Oh, 
Uh, I think they're trying to do Shield 2.0 just based off of it being Nexus. Uh, Nexus. Wow. NXT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Nexus. Yeah, I remember those days. No, uh, but it, you, you can clearly tell that Jokovic is one of them. Dio Madden's another guy. Mia Yim, and I think you have Mercedes who's there. So these are all NXT call-ups, and they're trying to make a name. And I, I do appreciate, you know, the generative – like the, the main goal here is for them to make a name for themselves, but you got to cut the names. Like you got you to gotta take up those names. I like the mask idea. But at the end of the day, I think they're they're focusing too much on the creative aspect. Just just go up to the guys and be like, hey, just be yourself. Um, go out there and and start winning some matches and and prove your worth in this in this industry. And I think that's where they kind of have to start. But with these names and all that, I really don't I really don't like that. And I kind of get like a shield type vibe just based off of like you know what they wear. But you know you can't really say that with the two women in it. But I do get kind of a shield type vibe. Like I think that's what they were trying to um, get out of this was kind of like a shield type push. These guys were handpicked and, you know, they go through the main roster and I guess we'll wait and see what happens. But for now, I really have no idea what to expect, especially now with the hurt business being around and Bobby Lashley and Benjamin and MVP. I really don't know what to expect moving forward. If this is going to be on the pay-per-view, I'm all for it, but long-term plans. I'm scratching my head. I have no idea. I wasn't even thinking about Survivor Series. You think that's going to last like another two months? Oh man! But like, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of banes running around with these fucking masks on. I just want to throw out there: Are we supposed to forget that Mia Yim and Keith Lee are not married? And she came out last week, and they beat the fuck out of him. <laughs> Did no one catch that? <laughs> oh man! But uh, honestly, yeah, I would. I wouldn't be surprised if this whole thing was here just to put someone over. And you have like a fucking Drew McIntyre take them all down in like three months or something. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. <laughs> oh my God, that would be jokes. No, are you kidding me? It's going to be Roman. He's going to turn face in no time and he's going to take them all out. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but nah, uh, I, don't, I don't really know what to expect with that. I think... Uh, I guess with that, it's the wait and see approach. Like we got to wait and see what they do next week, but I am not as invested in this group as I was maybe two weeks ago. So uh, they got to do something different. I think they got to, they got to make a bigger statement. I think they really have to go after maybe Ray next week or maybe Dominic, maybe throw it off. Maybe go after someone who's already in a storyline and just, just have them beat the shit out of them. And I think that's, that's what you need to do because the creative right now, we said it before the pod went up, they're, they're, they're lacking creativity. And I'm going to say this. You bring up paternity tests again 15 years later. Uh, it was Dominic in 05. It's now Aaliyah in 2020. And Seth Rollins comes out. And uh, round two, just like Pinello said, uh, I don't know what, what to expect. I don't, think, I don't think Aaliyah is ready for this type of spotlight. I don't know what, what to expect here, but... If this is just going to get Seth Rollins over as that top heel, so be it. I'm all in for it. Can Seth really pull this role off, though? <laughs> I um, hope so. He, he had a full stable when he was WWE champion, so I, I think he could pull it off. <laughs> it's funny because, like, uh, 
we laugh about it now, the fucking the custody storyline and the match was good and all that. But when you really think about it, one of the dumbest fucking things they've ever produced and they're doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the same Rey Mysterio. <laughs> Can't catch a break. <laughs> I want to see Ray come out with that fucking pipe again. Like, well, as soon as this music hits, like, guys are afraid. Like, when Brock was feuding with them and he came out with that pipe and you just see him shit his pants in the ring. Like, oh, no, that little badass is coming for me with his pipe. Bring back that ring. <laughs> Maybe Buddy Murphy wants to lay the pipe. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I had to. I had to do it. Hey, they showed it. They showed it on TV. She wants Buddy Murphy. She likes the ginger locks. Uh oh. <laughs> Where's Alexa Bliss? Where is she? <laughs> you gotta, gotta go one on one. But yeah, you that know what? We'll, we'll conclude this pod by saying that we have Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso at the next pay per view. It should be fun. A little family gathering. You know, them two going for the belt. Should be great. But we have now heard new rumors that Roman Reigns is going to come out with no shirt on, so all the girls are going to go, going to go crazy. Yeah, and he's, going to have, <laughs> and he's going to have a new theme song. So moving forward, what does this mean for Roman Reigns as a top guy? And I also saw on Twitter that The Rock is open to facing Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. So. Do you maybe see the development of that storyline start as soon as this pay-per-view? The Rock can keep it down. I don't want to see that match until there's an arena of 90,000. But for Roman Reigns, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's already going through some changes with when, uh, since he's returned. But if he were to take his shirt off and fucking change his music, oh my God, icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah, he, ever since the Shield, he needed to do that. Like he's the only guy who never really made a change. After that, it's like the same old Roman coming out in Shield gear and Shield music. Like I think this is a good reset for him. And yeah, I'm with Piniello. Uh, the Rock, I don't want to see that. They probably had that deal from last year. That next WrestleMania, you're facing our boy Roman. But there's no people. I'm not interested. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, we all know The Rock and Roman would bring that star power, especially at WrestleMania, but you do need fans to get that great reaction and generate that buzz. Uh, I agree there. I really, I see Roman Reigns, though. I think when we first saw him turn heel, we both predicted that he would win the Universal title. We didn't really know when, but he won it pretty convincingly. I think it was like a week later, and now he's been the champ, and I think he will be the champ for quite some time, and I think it's perfect because every time Paul Heyman aligns himself with a wrestler, they have a very long reign. We've seen it with Brock Lesnar time and time again. So I think nothing's really going to change here. I think Roman Reigns is going to hold it for quite a while. And uh, I know all the little kitties in the stands probably won't mind it. But you know what? Sit down. Shut your mouth. Enjoy the show. Roman Reigns is running it now. It's his yard. He's finally back. I love it for WWE. It's different. It's fresh. And uh, I feel sorry for John Moxley because Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins are killing it right now. I know John Moxley's doing his thing in AEW, but we've talked about him being a little bit stale as of late. So kudos to Roman coming back, changing it up. Kudos to Seth continuously changing it up. And uh, that's it for this week. Episode 98 was fun. We talked a little bit about the Shield, talked about Hoop, talked about all the awards and hockey. 
stay tuned for next week because next week is episode 99 and it's going to be a great one. Oh, boom.